0: Hello, hello everyone and welcome to yet another episode of The Yellow Card. At the outset, let us apologize for the untimely break we took last week. But on the other hand, I think it was pretty good that you all got to have a break for the simple reason that you would have heard an undeniable, uncontrollable rant about war, which I would have just gone on and on and on because of the way Liverpool suffered last week. So I'm going to sum that up, everything that I had to say. I'm going to sum up in just a couple of lines on behalf of my beloved Liverpool. You can call us off by a stud or even a spike, but no matter what, the cop shall continue to strike. We've got the fabulous front three of Bobby, Salah and Mane. Now add to the concussion Diego Jota and an injury-free Van Dyke, Y N W A. Hi, the pain. How are you? And what were your thoughts on what I just said about last week? And oh, after that, we can just go straight into it with Spurs and your favorite team, Arsenal, in the London derby.
1: Yeah, quite quite an introduction there this time around. Did you write that yourself, Chirag? Absolutely. I'm sure you're eager to still complain about VAR, but I think it might be just a little bit better with the week's week off that you that we took, just so that you know things might have cooled down in your head a little bit. But yeah, let's let's get on with this week's action. I think a plenty eventful week this week also, and starting with Tottenham and Arsenal. Yeah, Mikel Arteta fell right into Mourinho's trap, I think, right there. I mean. The Everyone knew what Mourinho was uh, going to do. He's going to sit back and attack on the counter. Arteta put out uh, quite an attacking side from the previous occasions and he fell right into Mourinho's trap. And Son and Kane just continue to do what they're doing and attacking and scoring goals on the counter. And it was a 2-0 win for Tottenham and it looked very comfortable in the end. Oh, absolutely. And I think it was a wonderful
0: win for Spurs because they did, like you say, they did what they are good at doing. They did something which typical Mourinho. It was fun to see Mourinho actually congratulate Arteta on the wonderful game that he had had. And uh, it's also fun to watch. I uh, I I was looking at whether it was Sky Sports or whether it was Spurs uh, Instagram account, but they actually have a Mourinho cam. And it was really interesting to see some of Mourinho's reactions, but the special one definitely at it again. Uh, Song and Kane coming good. It's probably the best duo that are currently there in the Premier League by far. And... Spurs on top of the table, the special one showing exactly how special he is once again in London. He's turned things around for the Spurs side since coming on just a little more than a year ago. And the only thing I have to say is a fully fit Bale is going to do crazy things in my head because Kane and Son are absolutely on song and we are not even a third into the season yet.
1: Yeah, I think overall for the Premier League, I think Kane and Son have combined more times. I think they're the second highest now. The first highest, I think, is still uh, Drogba and Lampard. And after that is Kane and Son and they still have a few, uh, I guess, a couple of more years at least together, with the way they're continuing. So, yeah, it's looking good for Tottenham and Mourinho. And I hope I'm not getting this stat wrong, but
0: I believe that it's 10 goals for Son and 10 goals for Arsenal. And how often do we say that? Because I can understand if it's a side struggling to score goals at the bottom of the league. But this we're talking about. A team that's supposed to traditionally be one of the top four or now the top six, but really struggling. And I think that they're doing actually a lot worse now, I dare say, under Arteta than they were under Emery.
1: Yeah, I think it's a, the season is unraveling quite fast for Arsenal and for Mikel Arteta. And there are already rumours going around for who's going to be taking up the job next from him. So, there are already rumours and he's, I think, the third favourite to lose his job as per the odds. The manager of uh, Sheffield United and Arteta, they're in close running now. And uh, Allegri is quite uh, is the favourite to take over as per the odds now. So we don't know if that is going to happen, but yeah, the pressure is building on both Arsenal and uh, Arteta and the season is just unraveling quite quickly from the early promising start that they had to now. It's just been a sea change very quickly. So that, that's, that's uh, something that we, they need to really sort out soon or. Yeah, there will be heads rolling. There will be
0: one particular head rolling, let's just say that. And it's interesting to see that you talk about Sheffield United and Chris Wilder because Chris Wilder has a ton of problems of his own. Of course, there's no love lost between him and the Liverpool manager. But before we get there, let's just talk about their performance Uh, at Leicester and Leicester again a a good 2-1 victory and they are looking good value another victory for them and uh, and Brendan Rogers' side definitely looking good but Sheffield United I think Chris Wilder instead of complaining and getting into a tussle uh, and and what I would like to think are mind games from the Liverpool manager who also obviously has to look uh, after his side. And uh, uh, here I'm talking about the five-sub rule and things like that, bearing in mind the fact that uh, all the big teams have uh, uh, a lot more going on in terms of the Champions League and Re- Europa League. But for me, it seems very silly for Chris Wilder to get drawn into these mind games. He really needs to focus on what he needs to do to... bring his side to winning ways because last season they were superb and I don't think there's too much difference in terms of the uh, personnel in his side.
1: Absolutely. I mean, Sheffield United now are winless going back 14 games, back to the end of last season. So, for 14 games, they haven't had a win. Of course, this season they have only one point. So, there's only one draw amongst the uh, matches they've played this season. In this match, they seemed that they had that at another point, they doubled the tally. But late, late goal from Jamie Vardy. Madison released him with a pass and Jamie Wadi didn't need a second invitation to make that count. Kind of stole the draw away from Sheffield United, but Leicester were comfortably the better side on the day in any case. Absolutely.
0: And moving on, I think uh, we can talk about a five-star performance from Crystal Palace who had... A very easy 5-1 win over the baggies at the Hortons. And uh, I just want to know what you think about that. Because Hodgson side looking good for sure.
1: Yeah, Zaha and Benteke came to the party. Two goals each for them. And after, I think, till the red card incident that happened, West were in the match, the possession was kind of even. And they won one. But after the red card there, it was uh, Zaha and Benteke all the way. Two goals for both of them. And... They, yeah, they completely dominated after that. Got a wonderful, wonderful five-one victory. I, I, don't think they've scored five goals away before this, or uh, not for not in the recent past, at least.
0: And absolutely, definitely a, a positive. Zaha, of course, has been on song this entire season. So good to see him in the goals. But Christian vendeke who's struggled traditionally to score goals in a Palace shirt, getting a brace for so so good things for him too, and. Uh, I, I think two of the clubs that are definitely going to go down. I have my money on both Sheffield United and uh, West Brom Albion to be two out of the three sides that are going to go down. Uh, the third side I think that is going to struggle would be Burnley, who you know had a one-one draw, was it at, at Everton? And uh, uh, again. From a from an Everton, Evertonian's point of view, they've really, really cooled off after such a wonderful hot start and uh, looking really good for, for for things from the professor. So uh, thoughts on Everton?
1: Yeah, I think uh, Ancelotti and Everton they they they're now ninth in the table. And uh, just a few weeks back, we were talking of them being at the top of the table. So, things have really turned. They have just one victory in the last six games that they've played. So, things are not keeping up. This match, however, this match more looked like, you know, the battle of the goalkeepers. The England number 1 and number 2, they were out to prove themselves while Southgate was in the stands watching. Uh, Some impressive saves from both of them to keep the match uh, quite even that way. When in the end, uh, the, yeah, that was that's what it was. It finished one-one, and I think thing to note about the match was primarily the goalkeeping. Absolutely, and I actually like
0: a couple of Pickford saves, and I don't say that very often <laughs> because uh, he he cost uh, he cost Liverpool Van Dijk, and I thought that was reckless. And he's been while his shot stopping is. Is, is good, But th- I, I would think that's good for most keepers. His overall play is highly average so I was pretty surprised and pretty happy actually to see him put in a positive performance for his side. Moving on now to both the Manchester clubs and the reason I move on to them is because like I said Burnley would probably be uh, uh, the, the third club I, I think would go down. And uh, the only other club that I think could save Burnley from going down is Fulham who themselves went 2-0 two, two down to City.
1: Yeah, I mean, two goals in the first 25 minutes and City dominated the first half. Uh, after After the first half, I think they then went into kind of a holding pattern, just keeping the ball, moving around. They had a few chances in the second half also, but the same intensity or the aggressiveness was not there. They had 70% of the ball overall. The possession was dominated by City as they normally do. And I didn't think that Fulham ever had a chance of making anything out of the game out of this game anyway. I, I agree with you.
0: I think it was business as usual for Pep Guardiola and his City side. So, uh, both the Manchester clubs coming good. And now I'll just move to the red half of Manchester
1: very quickly. Before you move to Manchester United, Just one thing about the top clubs complaining about substitutions and getting more than three substitutions moving on to five. Pep Guardiola made zero substitutions in the match. Zero.
0: I understand that and I think that was his first time since... I think that's the first time in his managerial career that he's made zero substitutions, (laughs) if I'm not mistaken. But uh, the point,
1: Dipen, is he should be given the option. In fact, if you go to the Liverpool and Man City match, when this actually does debate, where both managers complain, in total, they made three substitutions between them out of the six allowed. So, if you're not even using the three substitutions that are allotted to you, why would you want the option for more substitutions? I understand if you're making three substitutions. But you're not. I can't, right? Because I, I
0: may want to just play the, the 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 players on the bench and who are not part of the 23 or the 18 per se uh, during the week now because I haven't been able to c- call off half the team as such, right? There's no point in just calling off three players and definitely I think they should be given the option whether or not to use the substitutions is their prerogative but they should definitely given the uh, be given the option and here is where i think that the english clubs suffer because i believe most of the other european sides or european uh, uh, competitions whether it's the whether it's the spanish league or the dutch league they are giving those options to allow five substitutions and that's where the english teams are going to lose out because they're not necessarily going to have a, a fresh pair of legs uh, for 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 champions league's matches
1: yeah i get that but when you're making the point that you need more substitutions It is expected that you'll be using the ones that you have, at least. Otherwise, it goes against your own argument that you want more substitutions because people are just going to say you're not using the ones you have anyway. So. Why would you want to? We would.
0: Half our people are injured, and (laughs) some of them are courtesy bad injuries, such as the reckless challenge that Pickford made on Van Dyke. So I don't even have enough players to actually put them on field. I'm using Kelleher from the under 23 side, and the argument can be made for Adrian, but he didn't do too well the last time Allison was injured. I'm using Curtis Jones, who's 19 years old. I have a a very young. Uh, central defence, whether it's Reese Williams or whether it's Nathaniel Phillips. So, uh, uh, of course, the Liverpool manager is running out of options at the moment to make two substitutions. He still
1: needs to win the game. But in the 11 games that Van Dijk has not been available and the other defenders and the other injuries have been there, Liverpool have conceded just six goals. So, clearly, they are up to the mark. You're just spending more money on superstars. No? I think we should change the topic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. Let's move on to the uh, your other favourite topic, Manchester United and Paul Pogba. Of course,
0: Manchester, Manchester. Oh, the red half of Manchester. First of all, Pogba's agent has come out on the eve of their Champions League match and said, Hey, he doesn't want to be at United anymore. He should move on in January. Well, thank you. I've been saying that since years. Uh, he's definitely a below average subpar player. In a uh, who's underperformed for most of his life, other than when he plays for the French side, who's always unhappy and just giving sob stories everywhere. Uh, I don't even understand. I I I saw I saw uh, a meme where they or, or was it a painting, whatever, where they were wondering whether he's going to go to Juventus and Madrid. And my question was, why would they even want him? He's not been playing well at all, and just because you play. Well, for the French national team, you need to be able to do that consistently over a long period of time for your club side as well. So uh, finally, I I, I don't know about Man United fans and I'm certainly not the biggest Man United fan considering I love Liverpool and my newfound love for Spurs obviously. So no love lost there with with United. But uh, I would be glad to see him move on
1: because he's doing nothing for them. agree to a large extent that he's definitely not been performing the way he's built up to perform. So I don't know if he's a subpar player or he's just an overhyped player. But either way, Things are not great. But he did get a goal in this match. He did get a goal in the uh, 1-3 victory over West Ham. Uh, After a comeback, this is like a pattern they are following now away away from home. Concede a goal in the first half and then mount a comeback in the second half. Oh, absolutely. I think
0: they are making a habit of it. And I think last week, they even scored in foggy time. So, they are getting back to their usual ways. And I think that's good. in in a way that they're getting back that self-belief that they can go down and still win the game. Uh, There's definitely a group of talented players that that Ole has. He's finally using Cavani sometimes now from the start because Cavani came on um, uh, incorrect boots and all that. But... uh, I think a couple of weeks ago he actually won them the game with an assist and a brace and now w- while he started and was taken off after 45 minutes the idea is to have a, a person with the experience of Cavani start more games Van der Beek was also starting so it was good to see uh, Ole ringing in the changes and bringing on the people that he's paid good money for I-, I kind of now start to agree a little more with his lineups than I have in the past and they're definitely... Definitely looking a much, much better side, though they need to now start off stronger and show that kind of, you know, self-belief and a kind of eagerness and that hunger right from the start of the games.
1: Yeah, I agree. And uh, at, at halftime, the changes that Ole made really, uh, I think, uh, turned the game around quite a bit. Uh, of course, Rashford and Bruno Fernandes both came in and both have been their best players uh, so far. I mean, Since the time Bruno Fernandes has come in, at least these two have been the players that have uh, really pulled United forward. And now Cavani is adding to it. And despite all the criticism that United have, they have a very impressive away record this season. And they are now in the top six. Absolutely.
0: And I believe they have a game in hand. And before we leave United, I'm just going to say with respect to the Paul Pogba goal, he just let one fly. Luckily for him, it flew into the net. (laughs) So, that's my view on Pogba and United and we can leave it at that. And uh, let's talk about now uh, Danny Ings and his impressive comeback. Uh, He came off the bench, scored a penalty and powered Southampton back into fifth. What were your thoughts on that game and especially the penalty, the second penalty?
1: It was 1-1 till that second penalty and which got Danny Ings to go. So, first things first, it's good to see Danny Ings back. Uh, I think... uh, we all hoped when he got injured that he wouldn't get a long injury layoff so it's good to see him back and in in action again and scoring goals the penalty i i think it's it's really 50-50 i get the point that maybe var should not have overruled the referee's decision but in in the end if the referee would have given that a penalty and it would have, it var wouldn't shouldn't have overruled that either so i think it it was one of those judgment calls and the referee's decision should have stood but it's not not a penalty person. Well, I have comments on that. First of all, I
0: think that the, the foul is actually uh, outside the box. It's the momentum which took him in the uh-huh. box. Second of all, I do agree with your point on it could have gone 50-50 but then if that's the case, you should not be able to overrule the referee's decision. So, if the, if the referee has given a free kick, then there was no clear and obvious error for VAR to actually intervene and turn it around. And I'm I'm not 100% sure, but I don't even think that VAR sent the referee to the screen so that he can take a look for himself. VAR actually turned it around by themselves by informing the referee that there was a mistake and it was a clear penalty. Now, that was by no means a clear and obvious error. In fact, there is a lot to be made for a case that was actually a foul outside The penalty area then on what basis is VAR actually turning this decision around and again the main problem is it's not about us continuously talking about VAR because I think this is going to be a very very long season where all we do every every week is talk about VAR but the point is there is zero consistency because what are they doing I don't think they know themselves there is no consistency for when VAR comes in and the calls that they take and that's what makes it frustrating
1: yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, the, as I said earlier, also that the referee's decision should not have been overruled. But uh, either way, the referee would have decided; it would have been fine with.
0: It. I I agree to that. That I yeah. I I think that's that's the best we can hope for in times of these uncertain VAR rules and the way things are panning out. At least on a certain level, most people would be able to. Swallow even if it's a bitter pill to swallow, the fact that the referee is the one that made the decision at the end of the day. So, if that's what stays, at least it would be a little consistent. This, is, this isn't this is the way to go by just turning it around because there was no clear and obvious error. And uh, I am with Kevin De Bruyne in terms of I just don't understand what the rules are anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's just like… No one really likes just talking about war all the time. I and mean, You watch, watch a football game you want to come out of it talking about what the game was all about not about war and you know these incidents that keep happening over and over again this ki- kind of puts a dampener on the whole
0: match absolutely moving into the last two matches that we have to talk about for today uh Chelsea again looking strong and they east past wolves 3-1 and uh, Giroud in some tremendous form. I think, what, in the Champions League, did he get three or four goals? And this week, again, put in, finally put in by Lampard to start and rightly so. And he gets a goal here. So, he's in some
1: tremendous form. Yeah, I I, I think Didier Deschamps just made a comment about Olivier Giroud and said, if you don't play enough uh, top-flight football, you might not be a starter for the French team. And so, he was considering a move in January. But he's starting to get more game time. He got... Uh, he got a start in the Champions League, scored well there. He got a cha- start now here in the Premier League and he scored a goal. And uh, Chelsea looked comfortable, 3-1 victory over Leeds. Uh, they had an early chance but immediately at the other end, Bamford got in an early goal for Leeds. But after that, it was all Chelsea all the way. And they have a slight injury concern with ZH going off quite early in the game. But I don't think that should be a long uh, injury layoff for him. He should be back in a week or 10 days or so. Absolutely. And I was actually looking at the Chelsea
0: 11 that are not their regular starting 11. And with the with the exception of Kepa, I think <laughs> their substitutes 11 still looks relatively strong. So uh, Lampard and Chelsea done a good job recruiting. They've got a strong side and they've got a very strong bench as well. And uh, like I said, with the exception of Kepa, who I think needs a lot more self-confidence. I don't actually think he's a bad keeper. It's just that it was bad timing and things happened. But uh, Chelsea looking good for that top
1: four, for sure. That's another case in point for why they don't need five substitutions. And they're not at a disadvantage over other European clubs. Chelsea isn't. (laughs) Liverpool
0: doesn't have enough players right now
1: have plenty of players can you can you pronounce the goalkeeper's name
0: sorry can you pronounce the goalkeeper's name oh yeah uh, or for from from uh from Chelsea from Liverpool what are you from
1: from Liverpool the I mean, can you pronounce Kelleher's whole name the first name
0: oh no no I can just say Kelleher I can't, I can't pronounce <laughs> his, his, his whole name I'm sorry I, I
1: I read somewhere today that even Liverpool's first team are struggling to pronounce his first name correctly uh, let's talk about Liverpool now since we've already spoken so much about them four 0 victory over wolves exciting times Of course, clean sheet for Kelleher. I think he was the...
0: First Liverpool goalkeeper to keep a clean sheet in the Champions League last week in over 18 years, uh, clean sheet in the Premier League, and uh, and and and, and uh, apologies if I'm making an error in terms of that statistic. I I, I read it somewhere, but uh, so happy to be corrected if I'm wrong. But uh, clean sheet oh, on debut. You mean? Yes, yes, absolutely. Sorry, thanks for that clarification, Depein. Clean sheet on debut. I was wondering what <laughs> I mean,
1: Liverpool haven't had a clean sheet in 18 years. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I'm sure there would have been a lot of comments on that. (laughs) Oh my God. So yes, thanks. Thanks for that clarification. The main clean sheet on debut. So yeah, I I think uh, looking good, uh, an emphatic victory, uh, a good victory when they had the fans back. them with a crazy, crazy goal. I think... An all-round, very, very good Liverpool performance. Uh, Nico Williams also starting to get comfortable in that Trent Alexander role, which says a lot because you need backup for, for Alexander-Arnold. He's just coming off an injury and and with the growing number of matches and the growing number of muscle injuries and hamstring injuries we're seeing, we definitely need that kind of backup. So I, I, I think the Liverpool youth team is actually coming through the systems now because you had... Kelleher, you had Neku Williams, and you had a uh, 19 year old Curtis Jones, who I think is somewhat of becoming a regular now in that uh, 18 for Liverpool, all in the side. And at the same time, because of the Van Dyke injury, you've played, I think, a 23 year old Nathaniel Phillips. And a nineteen-year-old Reese Williams as well, so it's all looking good in terms of Liverpool's youth system and academy, and a uh, uh, very, very good news for the future. And an emphatic victory with the fans back—that's for sure.
1: Yeah, and I think Klopp uh, definitely can. Now he has uh, at the front, he has now a front four which he can rotate easily, and I think Jota can play throughout the front three. So can then I mean, Salah can play two positions out of there, and so can Firmino and Sane. Uh, And Mane, sorry. Uh, So, he has that rotation possibilities up front and in these young guys, he's found that rotation possibility at the back as well. And maybe Klopp can develop one of these young guys as a upgrade to probably Matip and Gomez, maybe. Uh, maybe, but I think a lot
0: of people also forget that Matip and Gomez are pretty young themselves. I think Gomez is still early 20s, if I'm not mistaken, himself. So, there's still a lot of scope of improvement for Gomez over there. And I don't think Matip's too old either. So, definitely looking good from a, a Liverpool def- defensive point of view from, for, for, from a future perspective. And uh, I think uh, I'm just going to leave it bef- be- before I hear your final comments from you, pain. Uh, number one is a special one and a special team, and level on points is right there. My team of scousers. And I would, like I said, like I said a couple of weeks ago, I would love to end it this way just with Liverpool one and Spurs two. But uh, it,
1: it'll be a dream ending for me right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, Tottenham are being, I mean, it's being considered now a two horse race that it could uh, slowly turn into between uh, Tottenham and Liverpool, where it'll be. Ent- uh, Exciting to see the two of them uh, go head-to-head soon. So that that would probably bring out uh, some, some flavour into this whole title race uh, going forward. And yeah, Chelsea are not too far back and uh, the Manchester clubs are cap- uh, catching up as well. So it looks good for the top of the table now. I mean, it looks like con- the real contenders that are back and uh, they are going to start dominating slowly and create that gap up front. Absolutely. And I think we can leave it
0: over here with uh, the Manchester Derby to look forward to this weekend. So, thank you everyone for listening. It's been a pleasure. We'll see you on the other side of this weekend. Bye for now and cheers. Cheers.